This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Infertile Millennial. Today's podcast, we are going to be talking about miscarriage. And the reason that I wanted to do an episode on this is because I just feel like nobody really talks about it. Not very many people open up about their experience or maybe even somebody they know. And I feel like so many people have gone through this or know someone who's gone through this. And so I wanted to not only share my story, but also share some tips on how to survive it and heal. My hopes for doing so are to make those of you out there who are grieving the loss of their pregnancy feel a little less lonely. But first, I recently did a Q&A post on Instagram. If you want to submit a question for my next podcast, be sure to follow me on there at Emily Orlando. It's E-M-I-L-Y-Y Orlando like Florida. And you can either DM me there or keep an eye out in my stories where I ask you what you want to know about IVF, infertility, miscarriage, etc. So I'm going to choose. I have three questions I've chose. I did not get to all of the other questions. I will either answer them in a following podcast or I will directly message you if you sent in a question. But I wanted to pick three questions that had something to do with um, miscarriage or IVF for this podcast. So the first question that was asked was, what are some tips for a frozen embryo transfer? So really, when it comes down to it, I know scientifically a frozen embryo transfer and a fresh transfer are very different. But when it comes to your body and everything you're going to have to do, it's actually very similar. Um, The actual embryo transfer process was no different than my fresh. The only thing that was different about that for me was I did not ask them. I didn't know what grade my embryos were that were going in during my frozen transfer. I'm not sure if it was a lack of communication on their end. Maybe they thought I already knew because I had done a fresh transfer before with the same batch of embryos, but no one ever told me what the grade of my embryos were. So I never found that out. I'm sure it's somewhere in paperwork, but if that's something that you want to know and you want to double check, I would make sure that you ask the nurse or the embryologist before you get started because they do show you the photo of them just like the fresh before they insert them. But really everything else during your frozen embryo transfer is the same. And I don't know if this really has anything to do with a fresh or a frozen, but the one thing I did differently during my frozen that I did not do during my fresh was I actually put myself on 48 hour bed rest. They do tell you obviously for 24 hours, you should be, you know, still only get up to use the restroom, but try to have someone else treat you like a princess for the day. But I took it a step further and I decided to do a 48 hour bed rest. Actually it ended up being longer because I think I ended up getting home from my transfer that day around 3 p.m. So it was not until like morning three days later that I actually got up and did something. I did get pregnant that cycle, obviously, but I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it was my implantation protocol with my frozen transfer, who knows. But that's really all the tips I can give you. And then obviously, since you've done a fresh before while you're doing a frozen, maybe not everyone does, but 
a lot of people do. If this is your second cycle, your third, whatever it is, just try to relax. That was something that I did during my frozen transfer as well, is just relax. What is going to happen is going to happen, and you don't have any control over how it's going to work out. So you may as well just be relaxed and, you know, pretend as though you're pregnant until proven otherwise. That's basically what I did. So the next question was what to bring to egg retrieval. So this is very simple. Um, Your egg retrieval is going to probably be the most physically debilitating portion of the entire procedure or the entire journey, I guess I should say. And you, I found myself the most tired after my egg retrieval. It's very exhausting. So I would recommend that you wear comfy clothes. Um, that should be a no-brainer. I think you'll figure that out really quickly once you're the day of your retrieval because you're going to be so bloated and uncomfortable that really like leggings are the only thing you're going to want to wear anyway. So just make sure that you wear comfy clothes. And then the next thing is depending on how far your doctor's appointment is, honestly, I don't think it matters, but especially if you do have a drive, try to bring a blanket and pillow because when you're driving home, obviously you are not driving, but someone else is, you're going to be very tired. And I ended up falling asleep pretty much the entire way home. So it was nice to be comfortable and to just, you know, lay down. You're in a lot of pain. Just being comfortable is my biggest tip, but also try to get something to eat afterwards. I don't believe you're allowed to eat beforehand. So try to allow yourself to get something to eat because when I got home, I basically passed out for the night. So You just need a little bit of something to give your body some energy, some nutrients, and just be really gentle with yourself. The final question I thought was absolutely perfect for this episode, and that question is, what is more physically exhausting, infertility or miscarriage? So I'm going to have to say that between the two, miscarriage is just absolutely 100% more exhausting than infertility. With infertility, you are basically you're not thinking about your infertility 24-7. It's not on your mind. Now, if you're doing fertility treatments, then it is on your mind and it is very exhausting. But if you're speaking of infertility as a whole, that is something you learn how to get used to and you learn how to live your life and move past. You don't move past it, but you learn how to let it be a part of your life, not your whole life. Um, With infertility, you know, I really only think about it when certain things trigger me. So maybe starting my period that triggers like, oh, here's another month of infertility. Or when I see pregnancy announcements on Facebook or baby showers or really anything that has to do with a pregnancy, not so much seeing the baby afterwards, but it's the pregnancy that triggers me. And I don't know why. Um because me and my husband, we have different feelings about that. Like for me, pregnancy is what triggers me. For him, what triggers him is like seeing parents playing outside with their kids, playing baseball with their kids. Like we both have different triggers and everybody has a different trigger. But for me, it's definitely pregnancy. For the most part though, I enjoy my life and I live it like normal. It's not, you know, it doesn't consume my life. 
Miscarriage, on the other hand, was very hard to get through. I've only, it's only been two months since I had mine, but I'm still, you know, learning how to heal and grieving through it. However, it was a much more difficult process to get through. It was very heartbreaking and it's soul crushing and it's you know you one minute you were handed everything you had been waiting for after years of trying and then you know the next minute it's it was taken away from you and there's nothing you can do about it which is the worst part so it's just definitely i think anyone who's been through pregnancy loss or miscarriage or losing a child will say the same thing it's 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 something it's constantly on your mind you learn to live with it but you have to figure out ways of how to get through it and how to survive it. And so that is what I'm here to talk about today is not only am I going to be sharing my miscarriage story, but also the things that helped me get through my first miscarriage. Okay, so I think I want to start by sharing my story. I'm not going to go too into detail, but I just wanted to sort of share how my miscarriage came about. So during my second IVF cycle, it was my first frozen transfer. I was on an implantation protocol, which involved me taking a steroid. It involved me taking blood thinning injections. I took baby aspirin once a day. I did progesterone and oil injections every morning, and I did estrogen patches as well as estrogen pills. And I also took Plaquenil. So I was on a lot of different medications that I was taking every day, and then I was also doing two prenatal vitamins and folic acid every day. So I was on a lot of different stuff to help this pregnancy happen. So I had mentioned in my previous podcast that I started having symptoms of pregnancy. I was having crazy dreams, which I normally do have really weird dreams, but these dreams were so wild and vivid that it just gave me the thought of, okay, maybe I'm pregnant because it was just, the timing was weird and it was every single night for like a week. And then I had the spotting and cramping, so that forced me to want to take a pregnancy test, and it came up very dark and positive straight away, which was shocking to us, because not only were we shocked to be pregnant, but I'd never seen a positive pregnancy test in my entire life that I took. Um, So it was really exciting, but we also kind of like didn't believe it. We were nervous, you know, just all the same things anyone going through a fertility journey would feel. So the following day, I went in for a blood test to confirm, and I had such high numbers for how early I was pregnant. So if you really think about, to put it in perspective for you, when I went to the doctors for a blood test, I was only considered 13 days past ovulation. It was 12 or 13. That's pretty early to get a pregnancy test, but then also to have high HCG numbers at that point. I thought this was going to be a really strong pregnancy. So every two days, it was either every day or every two days, I was taking pregnancy tests at home to see if the line was getting darker. Typically, if your line starts to get lighter, that is a sign of a chemical pregnancy. So I wanted to be sure that my line was doing fine and it was, it was getting darker. And then by, I think it was, I don't know, my fifth day of taking tests, my line was darker than the control line. So I thought this was going to be a very 
strong pregnancy. Um, I went in 48 hours later for another blood test that showed my numbers had doubled, which was a great sign. And we were starting to feel pretty good about that pregnancy. However, two days after my last blood test, I woke up in the morning and I had realized that I didn't have a wild dream which made me feel a little nervous because it was basically like a symptom had disappeared. So that morning I took a test, a pregnancy test, and the line was still, I believe, as dark as the control line, but I felt as though it was lighter than the previous test. So I was starting to get a gut feeling that something wasn't right. I think it was an intuition. I think, and obviously I was correct. Um, That following day, I had another blood test and I had noticed that they hadn't called me early in the day like they had with my positive test. It was just another feeling of they're not calling me until the end of the day because I think they have bad news. And I don't know what it was. I felt really, really strongly that something was wrong and they called me and confirmed that my numbers had dropped by half and that um, I need to stay on my medication, but that it's more than likely I'm going to miscarry. So that was definitely the worst phone call I've ever taken in my life. I really did expect them to, you know, reassure me that no, the pregnancy's fine, everything you're feeling, like you're just worried. But unfortunately, I was proven right. And I, I'll never forget that day. That was definitely probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. And, um, and then two days later, they wanted me to come in to again, reassure that my levels were dropping and they had again by half. So I was to stop all medication. And the thing about IVF or any fertility journey is if you're on progesterone and oil, you don't like immediately start bleeding or anything. You have to stop all of your medication. And within about a week, you should expect to miscarry. So I had gone about five days just wondering like, when am I going to miscarry? What is this going to be like? I'm so nervous. And I think it was about five days later that I did start miscarrying. And I will, you know, for those of you who haven't gone through it before, I, it's, it's such a physically difficult thing to go through. You know, it's, it's just like, it's like the worst period of your lifetime's 10 and it's just so painful and you can hardly like walk. It's so difficult. And I think it lasted about a week, but it was definitely emotionally really hard because you're watching your body pass this pregnancy and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's just very emotional. It's really, really hard to get through but you know, I'm here and I got through it. And now I wanted to share with you, um, some of the tips that I've learned as well as other people helped me with. So, um, the very first tip that I want to give to you, I, it should be obvious, but for me, it wasn't. Um, and that's allow yourself time to grieve. So, Obviously, because this happened two months ago, I was lucky enough to have this happen during quarantine. So I wasn't allowed to leave my house or do anything if I wanted to. We had the stay at home order going at that time. So in that aspect, I was lucky enough to really be forced 
to try to grieve and heal. Um, with my first IVF cycle, it wasn't a miscarriage, but it was a failed cycle. So I still lost those embryos in that aspect. But I, what I thought I needed to do was to push myself to socialize and be around friends and be around family. And I find, I found myself struggling every time I was, you know, pushing myself to do something because I would get overly emotional about things. Um, I, I found myself easily able to cry and I just, I, I thought I was doing the right thing by forcing myself to socialize and be around people, but it turns out that really what I needed was time to grieve. And although my failed cycle happened around Christmas and it was nice to be around people, I just knew like I was forcing myself to feel okay when I didn't. And so that is what I learned from my first cycle during my miscarriages. It is okay to grieve because everything you're feeling is legitimate and you have every right to feel what you feel. You might feel angry and that's okay. You might feel really sad and that's okay. You might be in shock and that's okay. Whatever you're feeling, that is 100%. That's yours. You own that. That is yours and you can do with it what you want. But definitely allow yourself to grieve and acknowledge that you're grieving. So my next tip was one that definitely helped me and it's something that I'm forever grateful for that I learned going through this IVF process. So that is to be honest about how you're feeling, not only to yourself, but to others out there. You don't have to tell every single person in the world like I'm doing that I had a miscarriage or that you had a miscarriage, but I do think it's important to acknowledge that and to tell people who you trust. I think keeping those feelings and keeping something like that to yourself is going to eat away at you for life. I personally have felt so good and it's helped me grieve by opening up and sharing my story. I always will recommend that, but if you're not somebody who wants to be that open, that's 100% fine. But I do think you need to find somebody or people in your life who you trust that you can talk about this with. Because when I say be honest about how you're feeling, the thing that I learned through all of this, these processes and this journey is that when someone asks me how I'm doing, I used to say, I'm doing good. How are you? Or, you know, it's, it's like a natural response. Most people aren't going to be like, I'm having a horrible day. How are you? You know, um, for me, what I learned is I feel so much better when I am honest. So for instance, if my friend or my mom or whoever would reach out and say, how are you? I would tell them I'm not doing well. This is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. I've been crying all day. I feel guilty for not, you know, doing the dishes or whatever it is. Um, and for example, I think I, even my mom had asked, I was like, I feel so guilty I don't feel like eating. I don't feel like cooking. Um, my mom was like, well, let me, you know, grab you a pizza tonight. You don't have to worry about cooking. You and Dom can spend time together. And, and she did that. She dropped off a pizza and, and that was really nice because that's the thing is that had I told her, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm great. I feel fine. I'm okay. Then maybe she wouldn't have done that. And that truly did help me. You know, I was really feeling down at that point. I was really having a hard time getting on with my normal life. 
And the fact that somebody was able to help me through that, I mean, it just made things so much easier. Imagine if I had never told anything what I was going through, it would just absolutely tear me apart, you know? And so when you hide your feelings, it just, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you grieve through it. If you're hiding them from other people, it's almost like you're hiding it from yourself as well. You're not being honest about how you're feeling. And so of all the things, I'm actually very grateful that this process has taught me to just always be honest about how I'm feeling. Don't pretend like you're doing okay when you're not. It's only going to hurt. People who are asking are genuinely concerned and they want to know how you're doing to see if there's something, if they can help you, if there's anything they can do. When people ask that, they really mean it. I've, I've found that to be very true. So definitely always be honest with yourself um, and with others. And to that point, if you are willing to open up, my next tip is to talk to others who have also gone through, whether it be a miscarriage, whether it be IVF or fertility, we all sort of understand each other. It's like this weird community, how we just all get each other. We understand. It's different talking to someone who's never gone through this. They can offer as much of advice as they think that they need to, but really, if you haven't gone through it, you just you don't fully understand. So I found it to be amazing to talk to other people who've gone through it because not only are they going to understand and they're not going to ask too many questions or anything, but they may have tips of advice. I actually had um, someone reach out to me and give me tips on how to get through the physical pain of miscarriage. So basically telling me like, you know, use a hot pad, a heat pad, whatever. Um, she gave me a link to the perfect pads to wear during miscarriage. Cause you can't, you're not, shouldn't be wearing a tampon or anything. So she showed me, you know, a link to those and I'm telling you, I got them. They are absolutely perfect. They worked so well for me. And I'm just so thankful for that because had she not reached out, had I not shared my story, she wouldn't know to reach out and she wouldn't know to offer those tips to me. And I probably would have had a much harder time getting through my miscarriage, but because I talked about it and I was open about it, other people going through it were able to lend me a hand, you know, and it just feels really good. It feels like a wonderful community. My next tip for surviving your miscarriage is to not push yourself. Um, I made that mistake during my failed IVF cycle. I had a hard time allowing myself to take time off and just grieve. And so that kind of does go back to my first point, but it's a little different in the sense of, let's say you are at home. Um, even if you work from home, whatever it is, I thought that the best way to get through it was to just go on with life and to do life as normal. Um, but I found that to be much more difficult. And I found myself kind of spiraling in my own thoughts because I wasn't, I was pushing myself because really all I wanted to do after my failed cycle was lay down on the couch and watch like true crime. I don't know why that's just what I wanted to do, but I instead, you know, I allowed myself one day of that, just one day. And then I was like, no, you need to get back to work. And maybe that does work for other people, but I find that miscarriage and failed IVF cycles can do a lot of harm to your mental health. And if you push yourself, you're really only ignoring the problem. You're not acknowledging it. And so my advice is to take time off work if you can 
really try to. I think it's very important. Say no to projects or opportunities that aren't going to fulfill you or are going to add to your stress. Um, Do exactly what you think would make you happy or distract you from your miscarriage. I know the feeling. I am such the type of person who like, I don't want to lay around all day. I have stuff I want to do. I'm a creative person. I like working on things. I love social media. I love doing all that stuff. I love editing. Like I just want to get to work. You know, I hate laying around, but I found that if I tried to push myself, I wasn't able to give the work, the quality of work that I typically would give if I was feeling good. And so I found myself getting very stressed out, um, especially after saying yes to projects that I really shouldn't have. doesn't mean I didn't want to do the project, but if I said yes to it, then there was this pressure. And if I was really having a hard day, I wasn't able to give my best effort. And so it's really important that this, you know, that this process, this infertility journey, fertility treatments and miscarriage, it takes a lot more out of you than you think it's going to. So be very careful about the things you take on while you're doing them, but then also be very gentle with yourself on the work and the stress that you put on yourself after. Honestly, like if you feel like, man, today I'm just, I'm not feeling well, everything is triggering me, then just watch your favorite movie. You know, do anything that would distract you. Do a coloring book, read a book, listen to a podcast. <laughs> um, just anything that would take your mind off of it. I'm not joking when I say that when I was going through my miscarriage, I binged watched, um, love is blind and marrying millions because those shows are just so ridiculous and like so entertaining that you literally will forget what you're doing or how you're feeling really. And I mean, and that's what I wanted to do was just lay down and watch TV. And that's all you need to do. Don't put too much stress on yourself. Don't push yourself. I think that is, it's just so important to be gentle with how you're feeling and with your grief. And on that note, since we were talking about watching Love is Blind, um, one thing that I'm so grateful my husband did for me is the day I started miscarrying, I was just so low. I was so depressed. I was so upset. And my husband had the idea without even like saying a word to me, he just turned on a comedy. And at that point, from that entire day, all we did was lay in bed and watch comedies. I'm telling you, if you distract yourself with something, it does help. So I have a list of a few comedies that I watched or that I think will help you. Now it's important that when choosing a movie to watch or a show that there aren't going to be triggers in it. So anything where a pregnancy happens or a miscarriage happens or infertility is talked about, it can be very triggering. And I think the important part about watching something that's distracting is that it's distracting and that it doesn't talk about anything like that. And for example, last night, even we, my husband and I decided to watch up for the very first time. Like we've never seen it before. I would have never guessed that it actually does have a trigger in it. And I believe, um, it's actually in the beginning too, where 
I think from what I can understand is either they discovered they were infertile or they lost a baby in the beginning. And you would never think that like a Disney movie would have that, but it did. And it could have been very triggering during my miscarriage. So I have a few movies in here that I'm like 99.9% sure there is no mention of babies that if you are going through a miscarriage or you know somebody who's going through a miscarriage, these movies may help distract you. So, um, the wedding singer is actually my favorite movie of all time. Never talks about, never discusses babies or anything like that. Um, I think it's just a really great distracting movie. Never been kissed. Great movie. Definitely in like my top 10, I think. Um, I watched He's Just Not That Into You. I was worried there was going to be a trigger in that movie, but there never ended up being one. So I feel confident about that. Um, Bridesmaids, always a great movie to watch. Could watch it all the time. Um, During my miscarriage, I did watch 13 Going on 30. That is a great distracting movie. I mean, seriously, it's just like such a cute, funny movie. Great for watching during that. Um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is definitely in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I think it is just the funniest movie in the world. And again, there's really no mention of babies or anything like that. Um, I also watched The Wedding Date. That one's great. Good distraction. All about getting married. Nothing else. 27 Dresses is a really great movie. Just Married. That one's really great for distractions. During my miscarriage, I also watched Because I Said So. I've always loved that movie. I think it's just super cute. Just Friends is another great one. The House Bunny, that one, again, just a super cute, innocent, well, I wouldn't say innocent, but super cute movie. Never talks about like miscarriage, infertility, anything like that. And then another great one that's really good for distractions is John Tucker Must Die. And there's honestly so many more I could list, but that's just a few of the ones that definitely would help me or did help me during my miscarriage. So my last and final tip for surviving and healing through miscarriage is one that's actually sort of personal to me, but I have found that It definitely has helped me quite a bit in grieving through and accepting that pregnancy loss. So that is to purchase or come in contact with something physical that helps you accept that loss. Because the thing about pregnancy loss and miscarriage is oftentimes you either never got to see your baby via ultrasound or in person, and you never got to hold it. Um, you never got to see it. And so it's hard to grieve something like that because there's no funeral, there's no really anything but you crying alone in your room. And it sounds horrible, but that really truly is what it is. And so for me, I wanted something physical that would help me move through this. So I ended up, and I promise this is not sponsored. This is all, this is very true. Um, I ended up doing a little research about what physical items can, what can I do to get past this, to, to feel like I have a part of this pregnancy always with me. And I decided on a um, birthstone pendant necklace. Our baby was due in November 
And so I looked up what the November birthstone was and I found a necklace that contained that crystal. And for me, that was a way to always have that baby with me. And I feel like it's definitely helped. Now, the amazing thing is if you believe in crystal healing or anything like that, Citrine has, um, Citrine is the birthstone for November. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I'm mentioning it now. So Citrine has an emotional healing energy. And I really, really liked that. So what it does is it can help reduce sensitivity um, and raise self-esteem as well as overcoming depression. And it helps you move forward optimistically and enjoy new experiences and explorations. And I think that's really, really important for somebody who is grieving. Um, It's hard to look forward with a positive mindset. So I like the idea that not only is it the birthstone of what our baby would have had, but it's bringing healing. And that's exactly what I bought it to do, which I think is fascinating. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, that's definitely been something. Now, if you choose to do something like that, it doesn't have to be a necklace or, you know, it, it doesn't, it could be a stone, you know, with a little scripture to put in your garden. It could be just a crystal like on its own. But if that's the path you want to go, really think about what would make me happy. Cause to me, I love wearing, you know, jewelry. So why not have, you know, that piece with me at all times? So that brings us to the end of episode two. I just want to say my appreciation for everyone who has supported this podcast, anyone who has reached out to me, sharing their IVF stories, their fertility journeys. I mean, it just really helps open your eyes about how many people are actually going through this. And that's why I wanted to share my story and why I created this podcast. So if you or someone, you know, is going through a fertility journey or have gone through miscarriages are dealing with infertility, always feel free to reach out to me. If you have any questions, if you just want to chat, or if you want to be a part of future episodes, You can feel free to find me on Instagram and DM me at Emily Orlando. It's E-M-I-L-Y-Y Orlando, like Florida. I'm always doing things in my stories, asking if anyone has questions for future podcast Q&As. And what's really exciting, since my first podcast was uploaded, you can now listen to Infertile Millennial on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and anchor. So yeah, that's really exciting. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will see you guys in the next episode.